The London Eye Mystery, Chapter 6, We Go to the Eye When I woke up, the sleeping bag on the lilo on the floor next to my bed was empty. I looked out of the window to do a weather check. The sun shone. The anti-cyclonic pattern of the recent days continued. Barometers would be set to dry and fair and isobars would be far apart, just as I'd, just as I'd predicted yesterday. I found Salim with Kat in the bathroom. He had Dad's razor blade in his hand and was shaving off the faint hairs over his upper lip and laughing at the same time. But I thought it looked good, Salim, Kat said. Salim turned and winked at me. Thing is, the more you shave it, the more it grows back. It's like lawn mowing. This made Kat hoot with laughter. When owls hoot, it doesn't sound like humans laughing, so I don't know why people say hoot, but they do. Nor could I see any logic in hairs or grass growing longer by being cut off. But I laughed too because I wanted to be Salim's friend. Then I ran a finger over my own upper lip. There were no hairs there, and this was good. I wasn't sure about the idea of hairs growing on my face. For one thing, shaving is dangerous. Dad often comes out of the bathroom with bits of blood-drenched toilet paper stuck to his skin. For another thing, facial hair is a sign that we have evolved from apes. And when you remember that we evolved from apes, you have to admit how limited human intelligence is mostly. Then we had breakfast. I had 43 shreddies, Kat had toast, and Salim started on a bowl of cornflakes but didn't finish it. Then we left the house with Mom and Aunt Gloria walking behind us, talking up a storm. This is one of my favorite things people say. It doesn't mean they were arguing, which is what it might sound like. It means that they were talking nonstop and not paying attention to anything else around them. When storms happen, it is hard to pay attention to anything else. Kat and Salim and I walked in front together. I was on the side nearest the curb, hopping across the cracks in the paving stones and around the lampposts with my hands in my pocket, which is how I like to walk best when I'm with other people. Then we passed the barracks. Salim said how huge it was, and I said it had 24 stories, and Kat said it would be flattened any day now by our dad. Never, said Salim. Yeah, said Kat. Why's it got to go? Dad says it was full of drugs and needles and suicidal mums. And cockroaches. Yuck. Yeah, and the postman wouldn't deliver things there anymore. Salim looked up at it. Some height. Then Kat pointed to another big tower. That's where our mum works, Salim. Guy's tower. No way. Yep. The tower was silver and tall, and I could see Salim was impressed with London because he looked at the tall buildings with his eyes wide open and his mouth open. Then we had to go down onto the tube. Kat and Salim sat next to each other, and I sat two seats down between two strangers. I folded my arms across my chest to stop my hand flapping and shaking itself out, which is a habit Mr. Shepard says I must lose. I stared at the tube map of London. It is a topological map. A topological map is a very simplified map, not to scale, so with no relation to the real distances. The stops stand for places where you can get on or off and sometimes train, change trains, and these are ordered into straight lines with junctions, whereas in reality, they are all higgledy-piggledy. 
If I'd been next to Salim, I would have talked about different kinds of maps and explained how topological maps should never be confused with topographical maps. But when I looked over to where Salim was sitting, Kat was showing him the silver nail polish on her fingernails and asking him about his social life, which is the thing she always talks about. I tried to see if he was bored. When people are bored, Mr. Shepard says the muscles in their face don't do anything, and they stare without really looking, and he says I should always check to see if this is how people are looking when I talk to them. Salim was laughing and nudging Kat, so I deduced that he was not bored, although I would have been. We got out at Embankment Station so that we could walk over one of the Golden Jubilee bridges and see the view. The sky was blue. The river was gray. The eye was white. The capsules moved so slowly they hardly seemed to move at all. Halfway across the Thames, Salim took an old-fashioned camera, the kind where you have to use a film, from his pocket. That's an interesting camera, Salim, Kat said. My mom gave it to me for going to New York. I wanted a digital one, but she says this kind will make a better photographer of me in the long run. Then he snapped everything in sight, including one of Cat and me together, with the London eye behind us. After he clicked, his mobile phone rang with its James Bond theme tune. He leaned over the bridge's rail and spoke into it like a spy on a double O mission, as if he didn't want anyone to overhear. That phone of yours, Aunt Gloria said when he'd finished the call and folded the mobile away. Who was it this time? Just another friend, Salim said calling from Manchester to say goodbye. Let's keep going. We're running late. Late for what, Salim? I asked. Late for the wheel. You can't be late for the London Eye, I said. It turns all day long, two times an hour every hour, until after dark. Big Ben donged 11 o'clock as we reached the ticket queue, which was very long. The two mums groaned. It's infinite, mum said. No, it's not, I said. Infinity. Why don't we come back later and go to the tape first, Aunt Gloria said. You promised, Salim shouted. He stamped his foot and his eyebrows went down over his eyes. Salim's right, Mum said. We did promise, Glow. Let's stick to last night's plan. Here, Cat, take this. She handed Cat some money in large notes. You get the tickets and Gloria and I will sit at the cafe over there and wait. When you've got them, we'll join you in the queue. Kat's eyes went large and round as she took the money. She put it carefully away in her leopard skin backpack. Then she, Salim, and I found the end of the ticket queue and joined it. A lady in front asked the lady in front of her if she knew how long the wait was, and the lady two people up the queue said it was half an hour to get tickets and another half hour to board. A whole hour? Kat groaned. Maybe that is too long. Kat, I said. An hour is a drop in the eternal ocean of time. This is what Father Russell at our church once said about the human lifespan. Salim grinned. Too right. He took out his camera again and did another shot from where we were standing. I asked if I could take one. Don't let him, Salim, Kat said. Ted's useless at stuff like that. You'll end up with a paving stone and half a trainer. But Salim didn't listen. He gave me the camera, and I aimed through the viewfinder to the crux of the wheel. It jogged when I pressed the button. I took the camera away from my eye to see a man walking towards us. He wore an old leather jacket, unzipped, and a black t-shirt with writing on it, but I didn't notice what it said. 
He was dark-haired with an afternoon shadow on his chin, which is what Dad says he gets at weekends when he has a day off shaving. As the stranger drew near, he threw a cigarette to the ground and stubbed it out under his heel, for which he could have been fined a thousand pounds for dropping litter, but nobody seemed to notice apart from me. He came right up. Excuse me, he said. Are you looking for a ticket? Cat explained that we were queuing for five tickets. The strange man said he'd give us the one he had if we liked. He said he was up near the front of the queue to board, but he'd changed his mind. He just couldn't face it. You can't face it, said Salim. He stared at the ticket in the man's hand and then up at the eye. I'm claustrophobic. I'd pass out being stuck in one of those perspex pods. Forgetting that it is wrong to speak to strangers, I said. The pods are made of steel and glass, not perspex. That's worse. Glass? No thanks. The glass is reinforced. It's very strong and safe. So you don't want your ticket? Salim interrupted. It's yours for the taking. The strange man held it out. It's the 11.30 boarding. That girl over there. He turned and pointed to a girl in sunglasses and a pink fluffy jacket. Is holding my place. They'll be boarding soon. Salim turned to Kat. What do you say? Dunno, said Kat. Mum said to get tickets for everyone. It's a very nice offer, but... My hand was shaking itself out because I had just remembered that you are not supposed to speak to strangers or accept gifts from them. But Salim had his hands up, saying, We'll none of us get up at the rate this queue is moving. And Kat, I could see, was weighing things in the balance, which means she was deciding what to do. As the oldest, she was in charge. Okay, she said. Mom and Auntie Glow will be glad to save the money, I bet. Not to mention the time. And Ted and I have been up already. You take it, Salim. You're the guest. The man handed over the ticket and led us over to where he'd been standing in the queue. My hand shook itself out because this meant I wouldn't be flying the eye that day after all and it was down to a stranger with an afternoon shadow whom we shouldn't even have talked to. Have fun, the man said, smiling. Thanks a million, said Salim. The edges of his lips nearly reached his ears. Kat and I kept Salim company in the queue until we got to the man who collected the tickets, who was shouting, 11.30, boarders, step this way. Salim gave up his free ticket and winked at us and laughed. Then he went with a group of people to the zigzag ramp at the eye's entrance. We'll meet you by the exit, Kat called. Over there. Salim nodded. We saw him through the glass, advancing up the gangplank until he'd become just a shadow. He reached the spot where the pod doors opened and closed, and his silhouette gave us a last wave. Then he hurried on with several others. I counted how many got on. Twenty-one, including him. The pod door closed behind them. I looked at my watch. It said 11.32, May 24th. He'll be down at 12.02, I told Kat.